This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Turn down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast, episode 29, the day after the Bears 27-24 lost to the Atlanta Falcons, their fourth straight lot going on at Hallis Hall. I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Wiederer is the beat writer, covers the Bears for the Chicago Tribune and has for a decade. He is at Hallis Hall today. Take the North podcast can be found on your free Odyssey app or wherever you download or find your podcast. Download, listen, and subscribe. We appreciate you checking in and sticking with us through this 3-8 and eight slog of a Bears season. A lot of excitement along the way. A lot of news out at Hallis Hall on Monday. The big question, obviously, surrounding the health status of Justin Fields. How's it going, Dan? And what uh, what's the latest? David, how are you? I would say there's a lot of news with no news, to, to, to be completely accurate. Uh, we don't have a full update on Justin Fields' injury status. We are not going to get a full update from inside the building here at Hallis Hall until after Wednesday's practice. Uh, I would presume that at some point in the next 48 hours or so that word would begin to trickle around uh, and, and leak out some other way on where Justin's at with his status and what it actually means. But David Matty Refluse called it a day-to-day injury with Justin's shoulder, but then also in the same breath said that he wouldn't rule out that it's season ending. And so uh, we'll get to some of that audio in a bit, but you can see where some of the confusion creeps in and uh, why we're, we're forced to play this little dance. Sounds like a typical NFL head coach to me, Flucy learning fast. So a few housekeeping things today, obviously um, the day after the, the, uh, the loss to the Falcons, we'll drop this podcast on Tuesday morning. We will with the holiday. Thanksgiving is Thursday. Everybody understands that. Friday, we will come out with our regularly scheduled pod before the Jets game, and we will be there Sunday night reacting to whatever the Bears and the Jets do uh, in uh, in the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey. That will be Sunday at noon. We'll have our reaction pod at night like we usually do. So our schedule won't change even with the holiday. So let's jump right into it with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. All right, Dan. So you mentioned Matt Eberflus at the podium. I have to say, <laughs> I, 
I, he definitely sounded like a typical NFL head coach, ambiguity galore. It was confusing because the range of possibilities as we sit here right now remains day-to-day, which I don't buy, to season ending, which I think they're closer to. My sense after listening to him just based on experience and just talking to some people based on what the injury looked like, I would be shocked if he plays on Sunday against the Jets, but I don't know the severity, so I can't say beyond that. Look, we know Justin's pain tolerance and we know his desire to play. And so he's obviously going to try to get on the fastest track to get back on the field. But the Bears understand that this is an investment that they have to protect. And they're three and eight and they're going to New York. Uh, and you don't want to throw out your your second year quarterback with uh, a compromised shoulder, given the, the, the style that they play with. Right. It would just be absolute kamikaze method <laughs> for the Bears to attempt at this stage of where they're at. Uh, I don't know why so difficult for some of these coaches in the league to just be forward with that. I don't know what you're gaining at three and eight uh, in this season to try to pull a, a fast one on the jets. We're going to know pretty quickly on, uh, on Wednesday when we see who's taking the practice reps and where Justin's at. Listen, Justin's usually scheduled to do his, uh, weekly press conference on Wednesdays before practice. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Bears attempt to keep this charade going all the way up until practice begins on Wednesday by sending Justin to the podium at Hallis Hall. And then we'll, we'll, we'll see what direction that goes. Look, I, I, I think smart money and an educated guest tells you that Trevor Simeon is going to be on the football field on Sunday in New York. And so uh, we had a chance today to, to, to talk to, to both Maddie Refluse and Dave Montgomery about how that changes things for the offense, because we know that a, a month plus ago, they, they reconfigured the entirety of this offense around Justin Fields' skill set. And we know Trevor Simeon isn't that right. And so there is going to be some adjustment this week. Um, but before we get to that, why don't we, why don't we go in and listen to, to the back and forth? I, and I don't know if you've Anything else to say before we hear hear Matt Eberflus's whole back and forth on this? Situation. I'll set it up this way, just by saying that if you went to Matt Eberflus's news conference today expecting to find answers, you're still looking to find some answers. And here's a, how he handled that today. What's the, the latest that you know on, on Justin's shoulder? Yeah, so it, right now it's obviously you guys know the injury report comes out Wednesday, and right now it's day to day. We'll see where he is on Wednesday. So we got time, and we'll see where it is, and go from there. You believe he can play on Sunday? We'll see where it goes day to day. We'll see. We've got to evaluate it, you know, on Wednesday, and then we'll see where it is from there. Have you been able to rule out whether it's season-ending or not? We have not ruled that out at this point. We'll see where it is on Wednesday. All right. How would you describe <laughs> what you heard from Matt Eberflus? Because there were chuckles along the way. I understand the competitive advantage. You in, do? I guess. Well, I under. Let me let me rephrase that. I am used to the NFL head coach citing the competitive advantage and being vague about injury status, but I don't and never really have understood it necessarily because especially in this case, Dan, what's ironic and and kind of um, uh, amusing, I suppose, Justin Fields could not be more transparent about where it hurts, right? (laughs) He's massaging his hamstring. He's telling you his shoulder. He wants to fight through this. And you can tell grimacing exactly what part of his body hurts at any given time. And then you have Matt Eberflus saying, well, don't don't look at that. And no competitive advantage. So how, how would you describe what he's trying to accomplish by being intentionally vague? Uh, He thinks it's going to help them beat the jets, but I, I roll my eyes at this. This is the fifth head coach that I've had a chance to cover in the the National Football League. And I've seen enough around this league to understand that you beat other teams by playing your best football against them, right? Like it's not 
decided by injury report games during the week. I've never seen a game decided by injury report games during the week. We used to have this argument with John Fox all the time who took the same approach and always cited it's a competitive advantage, it's a competitive advantage, and then lost 34 of his 48 games here in town, right? And you said, boy, John, I would hate to see what your teams would have looked like (laughs) if you didn't have those competitive advantages with the injuries, right? And so it's just, it's something that that football coaches uh, convince themselves is working in their favor. I know there's a subsection of the population that thinks anything you can do to, to, to conceal stuff from the opponent and screw over the media, cheer, let's have a parade for that. But I think this is just a game that, that is leading us down a, you know, a path that's just a, a week full of questions until we get the answer. And ultimately what we should be focusing on is what happens then, right? And how long is Justin out for and, and where do we go? But I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You've been around longer than I in this city and in this league to, to, to form an opinion on, on what you think this competitive advantage strategy really does. Well, I'll tell you this. In this case, and I'm not defending it, uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand it better, but I will say this, that the longer that that Matt Eberflus uh, confirms that Trevor Simeon is going to be the primary starter, even though it's a, it's in a, it's a reasonable assumption for the Jets to make, the longer, though, he waits, the more the Jets have to prepare some defensive packages for the event that Justin Fields does play. They're two very different schemes, yeah. and they'd be two very different game plans. We saw against the Falcons what happens when a team can prepare specifically to, to stop the zone read, when they can, pair, can prepare to disguise coverages or play quarters in a way that is more conservative with that shell in the secondary. So my thought would be, from a football coach's perspective, as – as, as insular as that life is, and they're in that bunker, that every day, every hour, for goodness sakes, that they can buy making the opponent think that they're going to maybe play the other guy, and the other guy in this case is so dramatically different stylistically, then I kind of get it. But what I think was worth the biggest chuckle was that he's day-to-day, oh, but he might be out for the season. That's the wide range that I don't understand. If you're just going to play coy, play coy. But that disparity in, in sort of when he's coming back was just ridiculous. Right. And the way they talked about Trevor was, you know, we were talking about it in the press room afterwards. It was almost like, I don't know if you're a Rounders fan, but it's like uh, Teddy KGB twisting the Orioles, right? It's a tell that, that you know, you, you know you're probably going to have to go down that path and, and play Trevor Simeon. Now the question is, is right, like it, 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 uh, would Bears fans – be distraught or disconcerted if Trevor Simeon went on the road to New York and got a victory. (laughs) I I said that this morning, Dan, I said the way this is setting up is that Trevor Simeon is going to have all of Chicago mad at him Monday morning because he's going to go and beat the Jets and he's going to get the passing game clicking. And that's not a knock at Justin Fields. Please don't, you know, the sensitive uh, defenders of, of Justin, that's not what that is. It's just that with Trevor Simeon, you're going to lean into the other way. You're going to go into the ball control passing game, the short timing routes, because that's what he's good at. He's also a better athlete than people give him credit for. Let's wait and see. But if he is indeed the starter, I wouldn't be surprised if the offense continues to function at a, at a very good high level and they score some points because I think that he can move the football if he gets in rhythm and if he's not rusty and builds some confidence quickly. Don't forget 
that Thanksgiving week is commonly the rise of the Chicago Bears backup quarterback. We had right. Chase Daniel in 2018 going and leading a victory for the Bears in Detroit. We had Andy Dalton last year going in a, in a very tumultuous week. We were joking in the press box on Sunday afternoon that uh, Andy Dalton led a, a, a victory in one of the, the most turbulent times in, in the, uh, the history of the Chicago Bears last year at Thanksgiving at this time. This was while Andy was throwing three touchdown passes for the Saints on Sunday afternoon. It's just a, 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 an aside to say that the red rifle still got it right and the bears may have missed out kidding of course uh but look like th- these things happen we don't we couldn't recall and we'll have to go look this up when matt barkley uh took over his for his uh run of backup quarterback starts and and obviously he had a couple victories in there at least one maybe it was just one uh <laughs> that that invigorated chicago for a weekend so we'll see which direction this goes obviously you don't want an interruption to justin field's development right and and, and the curve that he was on and the progress he was making and so now you kind of got to look at all this, right, and figure all this out because, okay, so if Justin sits Sunday in New York, you come back to host the Packers, and following that game against the Packers, you have the bye week. So the calendar kind of sets up for you nicely to say, okay, we can get you three weeks here, right, off, and you'll only miss two games, and there'll still be some, some football to play, another four games to close the season off. Maybe that's the practical way to go. Again, we still need more details on the severity of the injury and exactly what they're dealing with and how it, how it leaves Justin vulnerable, but there's a lot to sift through. But I think it bears repeating or reinforcing right now is that as this sort of unfolds, there is value in him returning, and I think it would be a detriment to his development if – he were to shut it down this season. It would be unfortunate, I think, in a lot of different levels, and not just because of that means it's a, it's a more serious injury than we think, but also because I think that you don't want to impede the progress that he has made, and you want to compartmentalize an injury within that season. So if he gets hurt in 2022, you don't want it to be until 2023 that he returns because you want him to yeah. go into the offseason with some momentum. And I think that's important for the development of a young quarterback to can see that sort of uh, progress realized at the end of the season going into next year. Well, and you're hopeful that this injury does not require surgery, right? Like some guys can play through things for the last six six games and then require an offseason procedure that that then just kind of, you know, interrupts and, and detours the the offseason progress, right? And the training and everything there. And so there's a lot there's a lot there. Um, you know, the Bears offense coming off a performance that that by their recent standards is disappointing. I think it's a, a compliment to the Bears that a 24 point outing felt so hollow. Right. Because they've done so much in the last month to show you that they can score, they can be explosive, they can get things going. And so yesterday or Sunday, rather, just felt like one of those uh, one of those afternoons where it just particularly in the second half, it just wasn't clicking. And and so now you've got to get your arms around that. And you might have to do that now uh, going forward without Justin Fields. I think we would probably both agree that the loss of Khalil Herbert was bigger than maybe we expected on Sunday as well, because the Bears running attack was not the same running attack without him. I'd acknowledge that. I think they missed him more than I thought that they would. Before we dig into the QB1 um, category, I want to get into a couple other things that came up at Matt Eberflus's Monday press conference. So the thing that I thought was interesting in terms of dissecting that last drive, you know, the first designed run and where he got hit out of bounds, I will maintain that to me that was a bad football call. I would like to have seen a rollout, a pass play, Minute 47. Okay, we can argue with that. Brad Biggs on, on the Molly and Haw show came back at a little bit at me, and, and we talked about it, and that's fine because I think that it's a def- defensible position and a good debate. What happened on second down to me wasn't <laughs> because 
It was a Justin Fields run up the middle, a draw play that was supposed to go to David Montgomery. And, oh, okay, well, it was a mistake. So Justin Fields took it after getting injured. So I still think that we'll get caught up in what the mistake was and get caught up in that it was a mistake. But bottom line, Dan, it still was a running play that I don't understand. Well, here's a situation. Number one, that's a bigger piece of news coming out of here today than, than just about anything. And with Matt Eberflus acknowledging that that second down play was supposed to be a halfback draw and a give to Montgomery. And so for those who were calling for Luke Getze's head for, for taking an injured quarterback and putting him in harm's way, there was a miscommunication there that caused that, right? And then, and then Justin takes another hit and uh, the hit was on his right side. And so it did not, even though he grimaced and held his left shoulder, he did not take a direct hit to that left shoulder on the play. I don't have a major problem with a, a halfback draw in that situation because, look, they've got timeouts and they've got enough time on the clock. They've got a, a chance to go down the field. They only need a field goal to tie the game. And so, you, you know, you're not you're not playing under this desperate circumstance where where the, the time and score is against you to such a level that you can't get that done. We know the difficulties that this offense has had passing the ball in the fourth quarter and in game, uh, you know, deciding situations. And so shorten your third down, right? And they did. You know, they got to third and five. And that, that, that's what's being lost in all this is you're still at third and five, right? Like you got two downs to get five yards to keep that drive going. And on third down, your quarterback makes, uh, you know, he's very slow getting through his reads, doesn't get to the check down fast enough. By the time he gets to the check down, his footwork is all off and he shows poor fundamentals and does kind of a, a hop, like, you know, double play ball throw over the middle and, and, and throws high to David Montgomery and it hits his hands and it gets picked off by Jalen Hawkins. And, and for those who are, are arguing that, that it wasn't a bad ball, and that David Montgomery should have caught it, the pass is thrown three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. If you miss a pass that badly accuracy-wise, three yards beyond the line of scrimmage, that blame never goes on the running back who leaps and his outstretched arms get his hands on the ball. Yeah, maybe it would have been a great catch by David Montgomery, but please, like, let's let's keep the the the, <laughs> the focus where it needs to be focused. It's a bad play, and it, and it, and it sealed the loss, right? And that, that's reality. And so, uh, you know, third and five situations and game-deciding moments, those are the, the challenges that we've been asking now for a month for the Bears to, to find a way to meet and they have it maybe they eventually will but we need to see evidence that they're going in that direction to believe it and and they haven't shown it and that was another missed opportunity there fair enough that's a good explanation I also wonder and will always wonder if those first two running calls by Luke Getze and okay you, you the, the draw play might have been okay but you come out and you have two runs in your mind I still think from a conventional NFL perspective in that situation, that to me re, kind of suggests you don't have a lot of faith in the passing game. And Correct. You, haven't, you haven't executed in, in the passing game in the fourth quarter, but I still think you have to try until you do that because so, you have a young quarterback. It brings up a, a, a deeper discussion that's probably worth having, and we can have part of it now, but it's, number one, of course they don't have uh, confidence in their passing attack. It's the 32nd ranked passing offense of the league. They have the highest interception rate of any team in the NFL, and so yeah, of course there's concern there. I think that the question is, is in those situations, are you attempting to win a football game? Are you keeping in the back of your mind the idea that a, a 
young quarterback needs to develop experience in these moments to, you know, figure out who he is and how to, how to best capitalize. And so that's sort of this, this strange question that the bears are going to face for the rest of the year is how they keep the short term and the long term in the same puzzle and figure it all out. Because I, you know, look, I'll, every one of these experiences, even though they failed on three consecutive uh, game ending drives, the last three weeks, I think every one of these experiences is valuable for sure. the quarterback and every other guy who's going to be part of this offense beyond this year. Uh, they just have to get one in the right one of these weeks just to get that confidence and that library and that inventory of success that will ultimately help them. It just bothered me because I think what they did during the mini bye week in the in sort of the the reconfiguration of the offense that changed the direction of the season and allowed Justin Fields to become what he has. That was bold. There was some boldness involved in doing that. And yeah. what I think that we saw in that final drive was anything but bold. It was very conservative, and it was essentially playing not to make a mistake. And whereas, you're right, there are a lot to lose when you have the, the lowest-ranked passing offense in the NFL, but you were playing against the second-worst pass defense in the NFL. So if ever an opportunity presented itself yes. for growth, it was there. And so I would have liked to seen, you know, when's the last time the Bears successfully ran a quick slant to one of their wide receivers as a, as a, you know, and get yards after the catch? How about freeing up Cole Komet on a simple run, run flood a zone and, and, and scheme him open somehow? Why not run a rub route or a pick route and get somebody else going in the flat, get out of bounds? And I think those are the kinds of things I would have liked to have I would have preferred to have seen rather than, okay, Justin, go make something happen. Okay, he didn't do that. Let's run a draw play to David Montgomery. Oh, look, we can't figure out who's going to get the handoff. So there goes our quarterback. I just didn't like the football aspect and the, and the practice. It wasn't very practical and, and it wasn't real. Um, smart football from Luke Getze, and that's a surprise to me. Well, I understand what you're saying. I would also say that Luke Getze went into that drive believing that they were going to have more than three plays, right? And so that's what people are missing in this. You know, there was a few things on social media saying they only gave Justin a chance to throw it once on the last drive. It was like, yeah, the one time he threw it, he gave the ball to the other team, and so they didn't get to continue the drive. Like, that's how football works. And so, like, they were hoping to put together, you know, a 10 or 11 play drive that either got him a field goal or a a game-winning touchdown, right? And so so just because they, they didn't connect doesn't mean there weren't plans there to give them an opportunity to throw. Um, yeah. You know, and then we can, we can dive deeper into the entirety of the day for Justin in the offense, but yeah, it's, it's something they're going to have to juggle going forward. And it's going to be really interesting if we get multiple weeks of Trevor Simeon to just to see what this offense looks like, right. It'll be a good litmus test. One more thought before we move on. Uh, that came up on Monday that the bears every week send plays to the league about <laughs> Justin Fields getting hit and Shaquan Brisker was very candid to the point where I wonder if he's going to hear from the league later this week about how the officials do not call penalties on Justin Fields that they would call on other quarterbacks. It's a valid point and it's a good discussion. I will add this to it. And, and I don't think it's unpopular, but it is something that's obvious to see Justin Fields. He's especially on that second down slide where he might have aggravated that injury again, when he slid, and the defensive players pursuing him collided with him in a way that was violent and, and it looked bad. I don't know what they should have done. I don't know what they could have done to avoid the contact there. If right. that were a bear player sliding into Marcus Mariota in the same type of circumstance, I don't know that I think the, the, the feeling in Chicago might be a little different because they, <laughs> put, think? they put the defender in a very – awkward spot because it's like you're pursuing this 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 running back playing quarterback and then all of a sudden you're supposed to put the brakes on because he goes into a slide like he's going into third i 
I think well, I, I understand why those things happen. What you brought up there is why I didn't have a problem with the non-call on the other one that people were upset about where Justin's knee was on the ground. Like his left knee was on the ground, but his right knee was kind of up. And in live action, it was hard to tell whether that knee touched down. Right. Mm-hmm. And for a guy who three or four times in that game had four defenders on his back and slithered out and, and kept plays alive, you don't want, number one, it's hard for, to officiate that and, and, and then call a, a, a roughing the passer or unnecessary roughness there. Number two, Bears fans don't want these officials to get quick whistles and say, no, no, he's down, you know, blow the whistle, blow the whistle, right? Right. Like, you know, you want to have Justin be able to use those gifts and use his strength and his athleticism to make plays the way he has. So it's a really hard thing to officiate. I will say this, like, you know, I pushed back on on the the Bernstein and Holmes show on Monday afternoon that there is this – surplus right of moments where justin's not getting enough of these calls i i don't see that necessarily like we were 11 games in i watch every play you know two and three times every week and i if you can provide me a list of a specific examples i think the one that you mentioned on the final drive there the second down play i think that 100 percent has to be called just given the way that that those plays are are called across the league i think it 200 percent has to be called if you're going to call kyler gordon for a personal foul for touching marcus marietto's ankle bone right like i don't know what that call was that was there was an inconsistency there and a discrepancy there that that it, it, the the outrage is justified in Chicago that those two plays are officiated differently. But I've looked it up, David, since the preseason finale, Justin has drawn six personal foul penalties on opponents, right? Like I haven't done the numbers for the other quarterbacks in the league. We could, you know, start with Hertz and, and uh, Josh Allen and, and, and um, Lamar Jackson and these other guys who, who, who use the run to an advantage. But I would doubt that, that any of those guys are above five or six, uh, you know, unnecessary roughness and roughing the passer calls drawn for them. And so, like, I think that, you know, it's in the heat of the moment, it's easy to say, oh, we're getting hosed and, and he's not getting enough calls. I asked Matt Eberflus directly how many of those, per, you know, he sent in this season. He says he thinks it's one or two per week. Surprised me because I, I don't see that in the library of, of, you know, Justin doesn't get hit on slides or, you know, late in the pocket a lot. He's either sacked or he's, you know, getting pushed out of bounds or whatever it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to take a deeper look at it. I don't know where you are on that. Well, I think that it also just reinforces how he can also, uh, his ability to protect himself or his need to improve the way that he protects himself has been a topic of conversation for a while now. And his slides do tend to be rather awkward. And I do think he exposes part of his body and he's kind of sort of maybe sliding. So it's a little bit odd. And I also think it's this, it's like, you know, I've never owned a Ferrari, but if I did and I got it home and I drove it off out of the lot and I got it home and then I sat in my driveway overnight and I got up in the morning, I look at it like, Oh boy, There's a smudge there. There's a smudge there. You notice things more when you have a rare anything. And this rare quarterback, just where other people might, you might shrug it off. When you see it happen to him, you're like, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, the next three to five years flash in front of your eyes. And you're like, this is way too valuable for him to be treated that way so you're like okay get let's let's wipe him clean let's protect him let's put him in the garage and um and you never drive him except for to the store and back well you want to be ultra 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 careful What's going to be really interesting for Justin when he comes back from this injury is just how aggressive he is, right? Like we saw in Mitch Trubisky after he got that shoulder injury when he took that late hit from Harrison Smith in 2018 that he was never really the same 
uh, aggressive runner, right? Like when he was trying to make plays off script out of the pocket. And I, I think he was affected, right? Like I think subconsciously or consciously was affected by that hit that knocked him out for a couple games. And so you, you hope that, that this injury for Justin isn't something that makes him a little bit shy uh, to do the things that make him so gifted, right? And so it would just be something to track as we go forward to, to, to see where he's at. They're totally different players and, and, and totally different guys, right? And so we'll see where it goes. But, but it, it, is, it is history worth at least mentioning because it did change how aggressively Mitch looked to run the football and it did alter the course of his development because of that because he was one of those guys like a lot of young quarterbacks the better he ran the more accurate he threw yeah no doubt about it eBay Motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, so let's dive into uh, the QB1 aspect of our podcast. Okay, Dan, defining moment. Our category is defining moment <laughs> on the bright side. Uh-oh, and big number. Let's start with defining moment. What was it for you? For me, it's easy. It's the it's – the, uh the play that Justin got injured on, and it's a first down play on the final drive. I had a chance to get over to the Falcons locker room uh, Sunday afternoon and talk to D Alford. And he said, look, like we were reading this play. Uh, we saw Darnell Mooney, you know, at the snap and, and Alford is, is, responsible for setting the edge on that play, given the way that that run is going. And so he just makes a play and said he used his speed to uh, beat the Bears offensive line. And when he did, he got to, to Justin. And, and what, what was notable to me about it, David, is that it was pretty routine play and a pretty routine tackle. You know, there was nothing crazy about the play or anything crazy about the tackle. It was just a, a hit along the sideline that set Justin down uh, in an awkward fashion. And he landed on the shoulder. And he was hurt. And and so, you know, we, we've obviously detailed what else happened on that drive, but it was it was just not a good start to a game ending drive. And it was just unfortunate that they got there. I also think it, it illuminates a little bit of how well the Falcons managed to defend the quarterback run 
on Sunday afternoon, right? This wasn't, as you mentioned, one of the best defenses in the NFL by any stretch of the imagination. And they came in with Dean Pease, their coordinator, and had a plan. And 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 D Alford said after the game that, you know, when we talked about it on our postgame pod, that they understood that the Bears were one-dimensional and they thought they could keep them one-dimensional and contain that one dimension. And when you have a, you know, a 31st, 32nd ranked defense having confidence against you because you don't do enough things to be a well-rounded offense, uh, it's notable. And so that was just, it was just a play where it's like, okay, you know, Justin's yards per carry average was the lowest it's been since week two. Um, and that's because you had a defense that figured out ways to slow him down. And, and you could obviously argue that Justin's own legs slowed him down because he was cramping and he was physically uh, limited, but, but certainly, um, Asking the question about is the league going to adjust to this, there was a, a, a one-game example of, well, they might. I think that I have a ton of respect for that staff. I, have a, I've co- I know a couple people on that staff, certainly John Hoke, the secondary coach, Dean Pease. I remember Dean Pease. <laughs> I spent a year at Notre Dame. I mean, he's been around forever. And I do think they may have the lowest or, or the second lowest ranked defense in, in the NFL pass-wise, but – I do like a lot of things that they used uh, against Justin Fields effectively and, and the Bears overall. So I was a little surprised at how well they did play defensively. My defining moment for Justin Fields was on the third and 12 play at, from the Falcons 20. And it was a play that next-gen stats clocked it lasting 10.98 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, And I think from start to finish, it was actually might have been 12, but he scrambled for that long. Looking, 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 buying himself some time. Improvisation, plays that were off script were the, always the better plays for Justin Fields. Finally, he found EQ. Aquinas, yeah, St. Brown for a gain of 14 yards and the first down. I'll tell you why it was defining for me. Number one, it was vintage Justin Fields because that's what he does so well. But also, I think that it showed you that he's – on that series alone, he made two big plays in the passing game. He scrambled and found David Montgomery yep. earlier on, on the best throw of his day. We'll get to that later. But then you get the ball back. That's why you build up, you score a touchdown on that drive by making plays in the passing game. And I was all revved up and ready to go to watch him go out and make some more. And then you call two running plays on the first. You know, so it was defining for me because it made an impression. And that's what you're looking for. That was a memorable play because of what it brought out in Justin Fields. Yeah, we'll get a little bit more into uh, the third down stuff when I give you my big number in a few minutes, but that was certainly a play uh, that made made happen. Just one more note on the way the Falcons defended the run. Justin brought it up himself after the game that there was a, a, a mesh charge uh, defense to the, the zone read game, right? And when you go back and watch it, they did a really good job of limiting the Bears in zone read by taking that defensive end and having him come vertically, right, instead of surfing horizontally right, there. Right. And when you do that, you, you sort of force the quarterback to keep the ball and if you have the right help behind you from a second level linebacker or a safety potentially helping you there uh, you can limit that and and so you, you know it, Justin offered that up post game uh, and going back through the rewatch today there's several examples where you go damn that was a, a pretty good strategy executed very well right and so so that those are the things that the Bears are going to have to counter and and continue playing chess against as they go forward whenever Justin Fields is healthy again.
Okay, the next category is on the bright side. So my on the bright side, we've got another record for Justin Fields, and it was the fifth consecutive game in which Justin Fields has had both a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. Only one quarterback in the history of the NFL has gone five straight games scoring both with his feet and his arm is Kyler Murray. So the next time Justin has a start, he's got a chance to set that NFL record and take it over from Kyler Murray. And David, I think when you look at the two plays that, that they scored on, Wonderfully designed plays executed well, right? And this is what we asked for for years. You want to see a Bears offense that knows who it is, does things the right way, and then their players capitalize when the moments are there. The touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney on the first drive of the game, just a great switch release, and Darnell uses the the pick from EQ really well, creates separation, and Justin puts the ball there in the back left corner of the end zone. Boom, touchdown, right? You've got, you've got your connection between your quarterback and your top receiver, and you've just matched the Falcons' opening touchdown. Then you get the run from Justin, which is a, a, you know, Equinemius St. Brown and assist on that one as well, you know, blocking at the point and then just a convoy of Bears blockers out in front that gave Justin the room and the vision to cut back and take it in. And man, like we've talked for a couple years now about what kind of a weapon this quarterback can be at the low red zone. They're using it to their full advantage. I'm glad you mentioned that play. I just want to quick take a quick second to call myself out here <laughs> because I, I do think that it's important to because I, I have I have understated and minimized the role of blocking as a wide receiver and Equinemius St. Brown. Now the first touchdown to Mooney, that was a, that was an outright pick play. If I'm playing defensive back for the Falcons, I'm you like, can't defend it. Yeah. I'm crying about it because it's like, you can't defend it and you can't stop it. And he ran the perfect route. Mooney did too, but that EQ did what he was supposed to do. But most importantly, on these designed runs in the red zone, when you watch Equinemius St. Brown go into the middle and, 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 and seal a running lane and, and block a linebacker, I think it was an outside linebacker, you gain respect for this guy. This is why he's playing. I'm looking for it here. This is why he played 50 snaps, yeah. you know, 72% of the snaps. That's why he's on the field second most to Darnell Mooney is because he does a little bit. He's a football player. And I have dismissed and diminished that because I'm like, well, you know, if he's a wide receiver whose best quality is his blocking, it, it matters, especially when you have a team leaning into the running game as much as the Bears do. So I need to call myself out there. I will not make that mistake again. Um, You'd still like to see more than two catches for 24 yards. But all right. <laughs> yeah, points well taken. Points well taken. But I, you know what? I would – if I'm a defensive back, I would I hated guys like that because this was a guy that a running play you couldn't it was hard to tell because he was he 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 didn't give up. He he didn't have any tendencies because you know what he was a willing blocker. Willing blockers were the worst. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I digress. On the bright side for me, I'm gonna go back to the David Montgomery, first and ten from the 50. He scrambles, he sees Montgomery on the wheel route, he points, then he throws on the run. Young quarterbacks who can throw like that on the run, they don't think, they just react. I love everything about that from Justin Fields. That was maybe one of his, you know, I know it's only his second season, probably a top three or top five pass in terms of accuracy and effectiveness. 32-yard gain um, to number 32, and I thought that was my on-the-bright-side moment for Justin Fields. 
Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's a good one. And, and it's, it's, you know, evidence of growth, right? And I know we're going to get into the Yahoo category in a minute. And I always feel like I need to have like the narrator's voice at the end of those prescription drug commercials to say, Dan Reeder does believe in Justin Fields' growth <laughs> and has seen him making potential. And like, you know, you have to have this whole disclaimer before you levy one, uh, one bit of criticism on the starting quarterback, but uh, away we go. And so let's get into Dan Reeder's <laughs> favorite category, the Uh-Oh category. It's not my favorite quarter know, category. I'm, Don't I'm typecast kidding. me like that. I'm, They're, I'm the kidding, angry I'm mob. Kidding. Gonna come with pitchforks. No, I, 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 there, I know. I'm, I'm just, I know. They're on the lawn. I'm standing guard for you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the, the the last play of the last drive, and we talked about why that interception was just uh, a fundamental breakdown. The footwork was terrible. The the throw was bad, and it was just a, a bad punctuation to a bad half. Right, like the Bears' offense had had nine consecutive halves in which they had scored in double digits, and that was broken Sunday in the second half. They only scored on one of four possessions. They got that touchdown and nothing else. And so you end up losing a three-point game because for the first time in a month, your offense stalled for a little bit, right? And couldn't get itself going. And I think they're, you know, in a 99-yard second half, for the Bears offense on Sunday, which was not what we were used to seeing over the previous three or four weeks. It's okay. They're they're allowed that every once in a while. We can't expect them to be scoring in the 30s every week or having these explosive plays every week. But but ultimately, David, it just comes back to the idea of wanting to see this offense respond in crunch time, right? Like just one time, like, and then two times and then three times, right? Like understand what excellence in the NFL looks like and why you've got a convenient escape hatch that, oh, it's a losing season and we're three and eight and none of this matters and we'll figure it out one day you would love to see that response and and for the third consecutive week they didn't have it all right that's a good one my uh oh moment changed from this morning to this afternoon and it was after hearing matt Eberflus. <laughs> my uh oh moment was the second down play and i i think that uh, that probably bothered me as much as any it's a mental mistake, and I don't even know whose it was, but I watched that play probably 15 times after hearing that it was supposed to be a handoff to David Montgomery. It looked like a, a play that you just didn't know what was going on, but Justin Fields treated it like a read option, and he sort of made the handoff motion, and then he beat David Montgomery into the hole, and then he exposed himself to an injury and and to make a bad situation worse. And he certainly then he left the impression that Luke Getze was calling the quarterback's number after the quarterback was injured. So he created this false narrative, and it was a mental mistake. Now, was it his mental mistake? I don't know. But it was an uh-oh for the offense, and that, to me, is the bottom line. You have a situation there. You're on a potential game-winning drive. It's second down. You just had a timeout to regroup because of the injury, and you have a mental breakdown like that. That, to me, is the ultimate uh-oh moment. My, my, my last asterisk on this is that, that – uh, in the rewatch on Monday morning, I realized that the Bears offense had come so far that, uh, you know, a game where they put up 24 points felt so disappointing. Right. Like and, and it was a reminder that, man, really, they have come a long way in a short period of time and they are doing things that we asked them to do. And I think there are times where Justin makes high level throws. Right. That look great. And then there's times where he misses a you know 67 yard touchdown to Darnell Mooney because he doesn't get it, uh, you know. To, to the right spot at the times. And there were, there were moments in, in the, the rewatch where you just see some, some hesitance to let it rip at times. You know, you got a clean pocket, you got a guy in a one-on-one matchup and he's not open 
per se, but he's opened my NFL standards. And if you trust your guys, make that throw. You saw a couple times when he did give guys a chance. I mean, the one handed catch by Komet, David. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, my son told me when I got home from the airport this morning that that was number one on SportsCenter's top 10. So Cole Komet gets that honor, even though his scoring streak ends at, th- at three games. But I mean, that's an example, right? Like, just put it out there and trust every once in a while that your guys are going to going to be the best guy on the play and make a play for you. Did he say, Dad, you were right about Cole? He knew I was right long ago, David. He knew I was right long ago. (laughs) All right, last category for the QB1 breakdown is the big number. All right, so I promised, I teased this a couple minutes ago. Third down, my number is five. The Bears are up to fifth in the NFL, David, in third down efficiency, which is remarkable considering where they were going into the mini-bye week. And, and, And what they've done now to elevate that nine for 16 on uh Sunday felt routine, right? Like it was their third consecutive game over 50%. They're crawling closer to Luke Getze's self-appointed standard of 48%. I think they're at 45.6% now uh, for the season league-wide and obviously much higher than that to boost that total up there. And so you see an offense, like I said just a minute ago, that has made undeniable growth in that category. And, and that's that's huge because if you're an offense that can succeed in third down and succeed inside the red zone, you're going to give yourself a chance to be in every single game you play, and then you've got a chance to win it at the end. That's a good one. Okay, my big number is 18. And that's the number of carries that Justin Fields had. And that's a career high. And I don't think he's going to top it. I don't think you're going to see Justin Fields carry more than 18 times again this season. And I think moving forward, it would really surprise me under, you know, we can't predict the future, but I think as the bears continue to surround him with more talent and infrastructure linemen and receivers, I'd be surprised if he gets beyond 18 again out of necessity, because this is not a good workable uh, sustainable approach. You can you can sustain a running quarterback. You can't run him like a running back. 18 carries is a step in that direction. 18 carries yesterday for 85 yards. Boy, he can really you know get the tough yards. You don't want to ask him to, especially now. We don't know where this injury is is headed, but I would be shocked if he carries 18 times again this year and moving forward next year. I don't know that he'll have to. So 18 would be my big number coming. I'm I'm with you. I'll contextualize it just a little bit to tell you. I counted seven tuck and runs, six that went into the box score as as uh, rushing attempts. Another one that ended up as a two yard sack because he couldn't escape. And then you you mix in the the miscommunication on the second down play, and you say, okay, well there's there's seven of those 18 right there that weren't uh, you know designed runs. And I, I I still think we both agree that number needs to come down and probably will. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good QB1 breakdown. Let's flip the score. 
Okay, flip the score. The Bears, another one loss, one possession loss, one score loss. They have been in a lot of these games, Dan, that they are losing. They, again, had a double-digit lead in this one. If it's 27-24 Bears, do you feel much differently this week? I, I do, and I'll tell you what we'd be talking about more. I'll give you four names and then a fifth name. The four names I'll give you right away are DeAndre Houston Carson, Jack Sanborn, Jaquan Brisker, and Jalen Johnson. Yep. All four of those guys were involved in takeaways, right? Fumble forced, fumble recovery, and the Bears were able to uh, do some things with those takeaways. They scored on one and then flipped the field and then ultimately got uh, the, the chance to score after that uh, again. And so, uh, look, those, those are our big plays. The other name I'll give you is Valus Jones, who we've talked about for three weeks as being a healthy scratch, and then he gets his first chance to return a kick again and takes it into Falcons territory and sets the Bears up for a short field touchdown drive to open the game. And so th th these are things we would be highlighting if the Bears had won. Instead, we're kind of on, on Fields injury watch and, and, and playing that game for a little while. Nobody ever talks about developing the defense, do they? I mean, that's the one thing that you look at if they had flipped the score. I think that's a really good point because there were some bright spots defensively. This was a you know consummate uh, moral victory for the defense in that there was a step forward. There were some good there, – there were the takeaways, one on the special teams – and uh, the the one with um, Patterson in the open field. Yeah, or. Patterson in the open field. So you you like what you see. Jack Sanborn again proved he belongs somewhere somehow. He's going to play a role, I think, in on a, a Bears defense in twenty twenty three. Let's wait and see where. But I just I I don't know that you would feel if you you know the value of winning. That's an ongoing debate. But I think if you did get a twenty seven to twenty four victory for the Bears. There would be maybe a different context to this week. Not that it would change how we feel about Justin Fields' injury situation, but it certainly would feel differently about what the defense board is able to accomplish. A question for you, uh, and, and this maybe doesn't fit in the segment, but it'll fit close enough. At the end of the half, when they opted to try the 56-yard field goal, in the moment, did you feel it was the right coaching decision? Yes, I did. I, I, I definitely did. i got to be honest because I typically would be the guy punt and pin play the defense you know <laughs> I, I understand and identify probably more with the defensive minded head coaches and than I do with the offensive uh, schematic geniuses but I think that in that moment I thought okay ideal conditions a kicker that I I do trust because of his amazing accuracy and I got a little greedy maybe I wanted points out of that drive because you know you didn't you thought okay what what is there to lose you got to the Falcons give Mariota, you know, he's not, they're not going to go down the field and score on us. We can at least stop them. I liked it in real time, so I don't want to be a hypocrite and criticize it now because I thought at the time I was like, yeah, way to go, Flucy. I'd have done the same thing. So two things on that topic. Number one, this is the rare instance where watching the TV copy showed me something that I didn't see in person. In, in, in live action, that ball was hit really low and it didn't look like it was that close to clearing and then i watched back on the tv copy and it actually hit the crossbar it hit the bottom portion of the crossbar but it hit the crossbar so it was only about a you know a half yard to a yard from from clearing there and so it wasn't a bad miss and then i wanted to look back on what they did on third down it was third and nine it's like you know could they have shortened that kick and it got it you, you maybe three four yards closer just to get cairo more in his range well the third and nine play right before that field goal attempt david was was the play on which justin tried to decapitate michael Scott field with the sidearm throw that hit poor Michael Schofield in the back of the head. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that wasn't the finest moment for the Bears. Um, 
but it could have shortened the field goal if they could have gotten something out of that play. And then I, I was just kind of waffling because, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. And then you're like, you know, there is a risk calculus to that, that if you do miss that kick, now you've given the, the Falcons a chance to kind of do the six point flip on you where, where they get the field goal that you didn't. And it changed the game because that game went to halftime at 17, 17. And it felt like the bears were uh, should have been up by 10 points and they weren't. And you know how that works in the NFL. All right, let's close things up with our two minute drill. The two minute drill. The two minute drill. All right, Dan. So I'm curious, did any uh, clarity come from the Tevin Jenkins situation? Matt Eberflus kind of, uh, one of the oddest post-game explanations I've ever heard about a player who said he was healthy enough to back up uh, on the offensive line, but not well enough to play. Very strange. Any any kind of clarity there? I wish there had been. It was on my list of questions that didn't get asked today because we spent nine questions asking the coach whether he was going to give us any clarity on Justin Fields' shoulder, right? And we 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 missed out on opportunities. But that's it, it's a follow-up for Wednesday for certain because the other part of this, David, is is where does this coaching staff see Alex Leatherwood playing? Do they see him as an option inside? And if he is an option inside a guard, then why would a compromised Tevin Jenkins, who's not healthy enough to play as a starter or even as a rotational guy, be a better choice than having Alex Leatherwood try to try to go in there for you as a backup, right? Like just to have a jersey on for backup purposes, that's something the Bears have to explain to us. Maybe they see him exclusively as a tackle going forward. I'm not sure. He's obviously got experience at both spots. Uh, but we got to get a little bit more uh, more certainty on, on on what they're doing up front there because now that we're at three and eight and we're trying to figure out what pieces could possibly fit for 2023 and beyond, it's time to figure that out a little more, don't you think? I agree with that totally. Getting through 2022, though, will be hard enough at the quarterback position. Let's say that Justin Fields does sit out either Sunday or goes on injured reserve. We don't want to speculate, but we don't know yet. Obviously, Trevor Simeon is the starter. Help me remember – is Nathan Peterman still in the building? And if not Nathan Peterman, would they go out and they try out a quarterback to put on the practice squad as insurance? Nathan Peterman is still on the practice squad. He would be your QB two if Justin's unable to go. It's really funny, David, because it's like, uh, you know, when Nathan Peterman was signed, I'm sure you remember the, the immediate outrage. It was like people were like, oh, my God, what are they doing? Have the Bears lost their way? They're signing Nathan Peterman. And the obvious response was, hey, guys, Justin Fields is your franchise quarterback. Somebody has to take snaps in the second half of preseason games, right? And that was basically Nathan Peterman's job was to go take some snaps in the uh, in the preseason and then just be around to be a, an influence in the room. Well, now he's potentially a snap or two from playing, right? And we've seen more than a few bare seasons where QB three ends up making a start. I know you covered one year where there was four with the you know the the Grossman, uh, Quinn, Krenzel, Hutchinson year. Right, oh, remember I remember that one? 2004, like it was yesterday. Chad Hutchinson got cut in preseason, I think, uh, or maybe that was the next preseason. He got and he was like, surfing, and they they yeah, pulled him yeah. off a surfboard. And then you know, in, in my time, there was the Cutler, Hoyer, Matt Barkley year. So you, you never know, right? When QB three is going to get the emergency call, he is that guy in that role right now. And uh, hopefully, the Bears don't need him. Real quickly, Cordero Patterson's the guy I think that you have experience with in Minnesota. I like the fact that he had. Not a, a big day against the Bears. He's an easy guy to like. Let me put it that way. And now he's getting some buzz. Nate Burleson was publicly outspoken on Monday saying that Cordero Patterson is a Hall of Famer. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Um, 
I definitely think that Devin Hester is right. And then you have to have the conversation about a guy whose longevity has shown it. And that was what was kind of most eye opening to me. I was I was in Minnesota when Cordero was drafted. They traded back up into the end of the first round to make him their third first round pick that year. The moment that they made that trade, everyone in Minnesota thought they were going to trade up for Manti Teo, if you remember this back in the day. And so it ended up being Cordero Patterson. I came to Chicago before he played his first game as a rookie. Um, but but I know Cordero and, and obviously he came here for two seasons and uh, it was it was cool to feel his emotion Sunday afternoon, David, of, of understanding that uh, it's not easy to break a record like this. They have nine kickoff return touchdowns in your career, right? Over 10 years and to do it five times in Bears games, as we talked about on Sunday afternoon, which is a, a weird quirk to his record. Um the guy has done so much on special teams. I'm, I'm fine with him being in the conversation. I'm one of these people that think Hall of Fame has to be a no-brainer decision. And if you have to kind of right. waffle on it at all, then you're probably not a Hall of Famer. And so I'd probably lean no, but I'm okay with him being on uh, you know, watch lists and nomination lists and, and letting people discuss that. All right, just last couple of things. What would you think about the Rams signing rookie sixth-round draft pick guard Zach Thomas off the Bears practice squad last week, plucking him away and taking him to L.A.? Well, the biggest thing I think is what the heck is happening with the Rams, right? Like, it's just it's 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 stunning yeah. to see where where the Super Bowl champs have gone. And so, yeah, there's another draft pick out the out the door. Um, you know, it happens in this league, and and that's 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 where you're at. Uh, just for those who who travel a lot with the Bears, the Bears are potentially positioning themselves for two trips to LA in 2023. They will play the same place finisher in the NFC West right now. Bears and Rams are both in last place in their division. Who would have thought that wow. when we started this season? All right, last thing. Which are you more likely to invest your time in over the next several days and possibly weeks? Pumpkin pie. Well, pumpkin pie. Oh, God. <laughs> we need to have a pump. We need to have a Thanksgiving draft on Friday. Okay. Whenever we do that, Thanksgiving uh, uh, meals or whatever you put on your plate. Uh, I was going to ask you which are you going to spend more time um, curious about, the World Cup or Tankathon.com? Wow. Is, is there a C? <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a great answer. I've never been a, a big soccer junkie at all. And so uh, I'll probably watch peripherally, but but not much. And I know you're not going to tankathon.com. No. Wait, wait, what is that? Tankathon.com is, yeah, okay. What is that? Very funny. Right now, the Bears are third, uh, ranked third. Do you think they could get up to one? Oh, uh, wow. That's interesting. Um. I don't think they're going to be worse than the Texans who are contemplating a quarterback change. So I oh. would say no. Speaking of uh, potential quarterback changes, it's my understanding as we record this podcast that the Jets are not committing to Zach Wilson being their starter on Sunday. So is it possible? I don't know if, if, if Mike White or Joe Flacco is in line in New York, but we could have Trevor Simeon versus Joe Flacco. That would uh, be a quarterback manager's dream. <laughs> Game manager extraordinaire. Um, I think that Salah may have said on Monday afternoon, leaning towards Zach Wilson. So it will be um, one of the quarterbacks drafted ahead of Justin Fields. So the New York storylines can be, what were you thinking, Joe Douglas? That's right. That's right. Because that's going to be the, the backdrop uh, as Justin Fields comes in, even though he might miss the game. Uh, the New York writers never miss an opportunity to ask a question that makes somebody uncomfortable. So we will get into all of that. We will have our other preview of the Jets and Bears on Friday morning when our next Take the North podcast does drop. But this one, a lot of fun. Anything else that we left out, Dan, dissecting what's going on at Hallis Hall? 
No, I think we got to it all, and we'll, we'll circle back uh, middle of the week. All right, great stuff. Uh, Dan Weeder is at Palace Hall. You can find him at Dan Weeder on Twitter, and you can read his stuff at chicagotribune.com. Uh, I am uh, David Hoff from the Mullion Haw Show, 5.30 to 10.00 every Monday, every morning, every weekday morning on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Adam Stadzinski is our producer. Take the North is a podcast you can get on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we will be back on Friday to preview Bears and Jets. Great talk. See you out there.